So welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology. I am Molly McCormack, a dermatologist and Mohs surgeon practicing in Nashua, New Hampshire. I am the current deputy chair of the AADA Patient Access and Payers Relation Committee, and I have served as the AAD RUC alternate and member of the RUC Practice Expense Subcommittee for over a decade. I am delighted to introduce as my guest, Dr. Alex Miller, clinical professor of dermatology at UC Irvine. I am sure Dr. Miller is well known to all of you due to his long running cracking the code column in Derm World. Dr. Miller serves as the AAD advisor to the AMA CPT editorial panel. And today we'll be discussing a topic that continues to provide confusion to some, appropriate use in billing of immunohistochemistry stains. Welcome, Alex. It's so nice to have the opportunity to speak with you today. Well, thank you very much for your kind introduction, Dr. McCormick or Molly. Um, we'll proceed. All right. Well, let's start with the basics. What are immunohistochemistry stains and why are they used? Well, the immunohistochemistry stains are used as an ancillary feature to the routine, histochem routine stains that we do for diagnostic purposes in histopathology, including Mohs surgery. And those routine stains are hematoxylin and eosin, or H&E, and toluene and blue. Either one of those stains is a routine stain, meaning that if both of those stains are done in a, any setting, they're still routine stains and no additional reporting with a uh, specific code 88314 for additional stains would be used. Thanks, Alex. I think that's a really important point. Are there different types of immunohistochemistry stains and are there differences in how they are built? There are different types of immunohistochemical stains. As a matter of fact, there's an ever burgeoning array of these stains. Now, in a way, fortunately in dermatology, we have a somewhat more restricted number of stains that one would use. And for dermatology, it's even more restricted because in dermatology, you know, unless we have a extensive lab with capabilities for immunohistochemistry and in-house, we really don't do them. But we do, as most surgeons, have the capacity to perform immunohistochemical stains for diagnostic and margin control purposes. Regardless of which immunohistochemical stain it is, the reporting via CPT codes is done uniformly through the use of three different codes, each one of which is agnostic as to the type of immunohistochemical stain that is done. In other words, any stain will have the same code. The first code is 88342 which is defined as immunohistochemistry or immunocytochemistry per specimen, initial single antibody stain procedure. Now, if one does additional antibody stains, for example, for a melanoma, one will do a Mark one maybe one will also do a SOX-10. And if those two stains are done, then one of those two stains would be considered an additional stain. And that additional stain would be reported as 88341. Now, occasionally, one would also employ a multiplex antibody stain. And that is a stain that would have more than one immunohistochemical stain 
within a mixture. And each one of those stains would produce a different color, a different chromogen on the slide, such that one could differentiate one property of stain from another. That would be a multiplex stain reported with CPT 88344. Great, Alex. So as you have just emphasized, the most common codes that are going to be used to build immunohistochemistry staining are 88342, 88341, and 88344. On occasion, I've been asked about the code 88314. Can you mention when that code would be appropriately used? Well, 88314 would be used when additional stains are done that are not stain for basement membrane, for example, or to looking for fungi, a PAS stain, periodic acid shift. That PAS stain is another stain that's somewhat similar to H&E. I mean, it's not an immunohistochemical, it's just a chemical stain. And that's what 88314 is used to report, or a trichrome stain, uh, whatever other stains that uh, preceded and were long in existence prior to immunohistochemistry. Great. So for the rest of this conversation, we're going to be really focusing on appropriate use of 88342, 88341, and 88344. Some of the terminology around appropriate use of these codes can be a little hard to understand. Can you go through some of the definitions, particularly unit of service, specimen, and block? What do those terms indicate when used in association with these codes? Certainly, because I think that's caused some consternation and confusion and within dermatology particularly, and particularly for most surgeons. First of all, I'll, I'll explain uh, why 88342 precedes 88341. That doesn't make much sense, but that harkens back to the redefinition of these codes that was done within the CPT several years ago. And as a consequence of that redefinition, the codes became skewed numerically. And that's why 88342, which defines the per specimen first antibody stain is actually the primary code for using one stain. And then 88341 is the additional stains. It's not an add-on code, it's a standalone code, but it specifies each additional stain. Now, what's crucial in this concept is the definition of per specimen. And what does the specimen entail? Well, there's a specific definition in the CPT, as well as uh, defined Elsewhere, And I think that's very, very important to, uh, to differentiate between what we conceive of in Mohs surgery. Okay, so Alex, I heard the definitions. I had mentioned uh, specimen block and unit of service. Yeah. Do you have any preference as to what order I position those? <laughs> well, I would do the specimen, then the block, and then the unit. Unit of service. Okay. Some of the terminology can be confusing when we are trying to use these codes appropriately. Alex, can you take a few minutes to define what is meant by specimen, block, and unit of service in association with these CPT codes? Certainly. First of all, the specimen. 
what we conceive of as a specimen for histopathology is specifically defined in the CPT, in the introductory language to the histopathology codes that we all use, and that is the 88304, 88305 codes, and others within that grouping. And that's language says, a specimen is defined as tissue or tissues that is or are submitted for individual and separate attention, requiring individual examination and pathologic diagnosis. Now, notice that that definition does not mention a block of tissue in any fashion whatsoever. And that is distinct from what is conceived of in most surgery, in which the block or number of blocks may specify the additional code for blocks over five that we would use per a level or a stage of most surgery. Now, the specimen is not, as an example, a large piece of tissue that is sectioned into several pieces, each one of the which is processed separately onto a separate block. The interpretation of each one of those blocks, no matter how many of them there are from one Mohs piece of tissue, counts as one specimen. So such that if a piece of tissue, let's say, were quadrisected, cut into four different pieces, each one of those pieces were to be placed on a separate plate, processed in the cryostat as a separate block, separate slides made out of each one of those four, which we identified separately as block one, two, three, and four, Because each one of those emanated from one contiguous piece of tissue, that one contiguous piece of tissue is considered to be the specimen. Consequently, if that tissue, regardless of the number of blocks, were stained with a histochemical stain, let's say MART1, then only one 88342 code would be reported. Okay, so the unit of service for the immunohistochemistry codes is per specimen, antibody stain per specimen, not antibody stain per block, correct? That's correct. Now, furthering that example, I would say, let's say there's another stage. And let's say in that big piece, for example, let's consider it might be a lentigomaligna. Those can be somewhat large. So now we have the lentigomalignant margins cut out, a MART1 stain done, and we discover that a superior edge of the margin of excision and a completely separate discontiguous, not connected to the superior edge, inferior edge also has involvement. We then excise a margin around the superior edge, a separate margin around the inferior edge, and process each one of those pieces independently of each other and interpret them during the most surgery independently. Each one of those would then count as a separate specimen. And the staining of each one of those would be reported with one individual unit, separate unit of 88342. And by the way, 
when that is done, that each individual 88342 should be reported as a separate line on the billing, as opposed to a multiple of 88342s. It's not 88342 times two, it's 88342, 88342, 88342, one on each line. And there's even more to that. I think we'll get to it to it okay. later as to the, the details of the coding. So one thing that can sometimes pose a problem for dermatologists are medically unlikely edits. Are the immunohistochemistry stains impacted by MUEs? Oh, absolutely. Uh, medically unlikely edits are hard edits that the uh, National Correct Coding Initiative slash CMS will generate. And the edits that were, meaning that these are values for the code, the multiples of the code that may be reported beyond which payment would not be coming. So for example, if there's an MUE, a medically unlikely edit of two, if one bills three units of that particular code, the third unit would not be paid. Not only would it not be reimbursable, but it would not be a patient responsibility. And that is a factor that I think is uh, crucial also to understand, that MUEs are something that are established as a maximum for reimbursement. And if one goes beyond that in coding, not only will no reimbursement be forthcoming for those additional units of service, but one may not, by regulation, bill the patient for that excess. And one may not obtain an advanced beneficiary notice, an ABN of non-coverage, an ABN, and bill the patient. The patient is not responsible for that. Now, the MUEs right now that exist for 88342, that is one immunohistochemical stain, are four. That's number four. So on one, and every one of those MUEs is date of service. That is on that date of service, if one may be bill and likely be reimbursed by Medicare for four units of 88342. Beyond that, Medicare will not reimburse. For 88341, that is additional immunohistochemical stains, the MUE is 13. And you'd say, zappy wowie, that's a big number. And we only get four. Well, think about who's the prime utilizer of these immunohistochemical codes. It is not the dermatologist doing most surgery and making immunohistochemical stains. It is the pathologist. And pathologists, in many cases, will do multiple separate immunohistochemical stains to analyze appropriately a specimen. So that's where that comes from. And then 88344, that's for the multiplex stains, the MUE is six. So then you say, oh, goodness, MUE of four, I'm doing most surgery, I'm having these multiple blocks per of tissue per one stage. And I'm getting only 88342 one time for that stage. And then additional stages or 
multiple pieces I have to code separately. And all of a sudden, I'm above the MUE of four and I don't get paid. What then? Well, the one thing that does exist in the NCCI manual and in policy is that these are appealable. Consequently, if one were to exceed the MUE, one can appeal it. And the first appeal that one would need to do is called a redetermination. A redetermination is a form that can be done online through the, your medical uh, administrative contractor or MAC. For me, it's Noridian Medicare. That's the entire Western United States and Hawaii and Alaska. That form is something that is filled out. A crucial portion of that form includes a narrative of why this should be payable. That is the justification. From my experience, I have strongly always recommended that the physician, the most surgeon in this case, fill that part out. Do not delegate it to somebody. That rationale is what's going to get you money. It's not the rest of the form. It's that rationale plus the medical record as well. And speaking of medical record, when people are doing this, immunohistochemical staining, one should uh, adhere to the record keeping and justification requirements that Medicare has set forth for immunohistochemistry. So Alex, this can be a lot to keep track of. To facilitate proper payment, what documentation is considered essential? The essential documentation is spelled out in local coverage determination documents. And those are documents that uh, the Medicare contractors issue regarding any of a variety of services that are provided. There are specific reasons why those are issued, but in, in this case, for immunohistochemistry, there are multiple throughout the country from a variety of Medicare administrative contractors, simply because utilization really, really spiked. And when that happens, then the contractors are concerned, Medicare is concerned, and one of these documents may be produced. Every one of those documents says the same thing in the U.S., and I'll read it to you right now because this is essential to realize. The pathologist may perform, and I'm quoting, the pathologist may perform such additional tests under the following circumstances. Number one, services are medically necessary so that a complete and accurate diagnosis can be reported to the treating physician practitioner. So what's key there? You're doing it for diagnostic purposes. So that's key number one for the medical record. For diagnostic margin evaluation in most surgery, key number one. Results of number two, results of the tests are communicated to and are used by the treating physician in the treatment of the beneficiary. Well, if you're the most surgeon, you're seeing the results. You're, you're not talking to yourself and mumbling, although you know, I do, actually. So sometimes we do talk to ourselves. <laughs> but, uh, but in this case, what's the take-home point there for the medical record? You've done this. Now you want to report what it was. Was it positive? Was it negative? And how did it influence 
your decision making. And you could say, well, immunohistochemical stain revealed no uh, melanocytes or no atypical or no proliferative melanocytes, margins clear. You know, that that's it. And then pathologist documents in his report why additional testing was done. So that's a reverse. And that's actually the sort of zero. Medicare wants to know why you did this. Not, and that's very important that you should not be doing this as a routine. Every single person who walks through the door gets one of these things. You got to justify it. As a matter of fact, Medicare states that one should evaluate the H&E first and not have a routine standing order. Yep, for this kind of thing, we always get it before I even look at anything. And I realize how in most surgery, we may want to do the immunohistochemical stains, but we do want to document this kind of thing. All right. So what I hear you emphasizing is that to justify medical necessity, we should always document why the immunohistochemical testing was done, what the results of the stains were, and how it affected our medical decision-making, you know, how we acted on that information. Exactly. And that action may be no action, but it's still documented. So this has been an excellent summary, Alex. Thank you so much. I'm wondering if we can run through a few cases to see how this might play out in practice. Certainly. All right. So let's take a case of a patient who presents removed surgery of a lentigo maligna on the cheek. The excised tissue is quadrisected and each of the four pieces is processed on a separate block. Each block is processed with HNE and melanA histochemical staining. How would you build this stage? Well, as I mentioned before, the number of blocks doesn't matter. It's the chunk of tissue that matters. So in this case, there's, there's one chunk of tissue that's removed. It's cut up into however many pieces, however many blocks, doesn't matter. You did immunohistochemical staining on one specimen, one tissue. Consequently, uh, if this is uh, for, from the cheek in this case, 17311 is the uh, most code, and then the 88342 is the antibody, initial antibody stain. However, there's a nuance. The 88342 requires a dot five nine modifier appended to it. So you then say, why is that? Well, that's because of the National Correct Coding Initiative, the NCCI Procedure to Procedure, or PTP edits. And column one, column two edits, they're also called. This is a, a list that is readily and easily acquired through the internet. Simply search for NCCI, all in capitals, PTP, capital P, capital T, capital P, edits. And a link will pop up very rapidly at the top. Click on that one, scroll down, and pick the proper one, which is for physicians. And that one is for practitioner edits. And the practitioner edits will give you a list of lots and lots of different codes. But one would then scroll down to 17311 on the list. It'll appear in the first column. Next to it, you'll search for the presence of 88342 or 88341 or 88344. And you will then find that 
there they are. Some of them are actually on that list. And you will find that 17311 and 17313 have in column two, 88342 listed next to them. And they also have in column two listed 88344. So the initial immunohistochemical stain and the multiplex staining is column two, which means that you need a 5-9 modifier appended to that immunohistochemical code. Now, 88341, the additional does not need a modifier. It's not in column. So if it's not listed, if it's not paired, doesn't need a modifier. And how would the coding change if two separately identifiable stains were used? Well, if two separately identifiable stains, uh, then you decide how they were used. If they were used separately, in other words, one slice or one slide had the tissue stained with one antibody stain, and then another slide from that same specimen was stained with the second antibody. Let's say a mart or MART-1 and pan melanoma. If you did it separately, then you would report 88342 and on the second line, another 88342. However, if those two stains were pre-mixed in a mixture and applied as a mixture, and each one of those two stains had a different chromogen that would light up the cells. For example, one would be red and the other one would be brown. Then on one slide, you could tell which cells stained with which stain. That would be the combination type of thing, not a cocktail, but actually one of those multiplex antibody stains. So in that kind of thing, you'd report 88344 with a 5-9 so if I understand you correctly, if you're using a cocktail stain, the code that you choose is really based upon whether the antibodies are read separately. So if you're using, say, a pancytokeratin stain, AE1, AE3, you would use 88342. But if you had a cocktail stain where the results were read separately, even though on the same slide, you would use eight. 8344. Four. Is that correct? That is correct. And that engenders a little bit of uh, conceptual difficulty because there's been some uh, sort of overlap of the terminology. That is the dichotomy of multiplex versus cocktail. Mm -hmm. Yes. And in one sentence, the two terms have been used. That is multiplex cocktail. But actually, from a strict definition, a cocktail stain is one that has multiple antibodies, but they're not distinguishable. So as you mentioned, if it's a pancytokeratin or panmelanoma, panmelanoma has two different stains in it, but they're indistinguishable. In other words, everything lights up with that stain of one color. And similarly, uh, in uh, that uh, pancytokeratin, it doesn't matter that it has more than one component, all of those components light up with the same color. So you can't distinguish them. That is one stain, 88342. But when the, each individual component of that mixture lights up with a different chromogen, a different color on the slide, then one can distinguish 
each one of the individual immunohistochemical stains, in which case that qualifies as a multiplex antibody stain, 88344. That makes things really clear, Alex. Let's go through another example where we take the same patient with a lentigo maligna, but now we're moving on to a second stage. And that stage is processed in two blocks, each stained with melanin once again. Is there a difference if the second stage consisted of one specimen that was resected and then divided into two blocks versus two non-contiguous non -contiguous tissue specimens that are removed and then processed on separate blocks? Well, yes, there's a difference because there's, again, that distinction between block and specimen. A specimen being defined, once again, as individual tissue that is processed separately and interpreted separately. Uh, so consequently, if the second specimen is actually two, because each one of those was removed from a distinct discontiguous area of the margin, and each one of those was then processed and stained individually, then in that case, each one of those two specimens is separate, and each one of those would be uh, reported with its own individual 88342. So there would be 88342 number one and 88342 number two, each one reported on a separate line in the billing. Well, that is great. So I want to thank you so much for your time today. Is there, before we close, is there anything that we have not covered that you think our audience needs to be aware of? I really think we've, and I think really what I would punctuate is that in most surgery, we are subject at times to exceeding the MUE. But in those cases, do not hesitate to appeal the reimbursement via that redetermination, which is available. Uh, the form is available on the Medicare Administrative Contractors website. Don't just roll over and say, oh, okay, I didn't get paid. Remember, you may not and cannot, should not, and is inappropriate to bill the patient for that excess. Uh, so you've, you've lost out, take advantage of uh, your ability to appeal. Again, um, well, thank, thank you, you so, so much, much, Alex. I always learn something new when chatting with you. For those of you in the audience who are interested in learning more about immunohistochemistry use and billing, I refer you to the Practice Management Center of the AAD website. It is an excellent resource. Thank you very much, Molly. It's been a pleasure.